0: Getting out with my daughter, that's always enjoyable. It's a good quality time together. You get to sort of see the world and constantly having to sort of remind her how lucky she is to grow up where she's growing up and ride down to the bay and look across and see the Golden Gate Bridge. And people pay good money to come here to visit that, you know, once in their life to see it. And we get to ride down there. So certainly it's great in terms of family togetherness. You know, mental health, it's just a sort of good opportunity, like I said, to kind of clear your head, get a little separation between home and the office. You know, I think there is a way in which, and I think this is true of public transportation too, there's a way in which you are more connected with what's going on in your community when you're not encapsulated in a car, driving solo with the radio on and sort of trying to sort of not pay attention to what's going on around you as much as possible. There is a way, I think that you probably become a little bit more connected to what's happening in, you know, in your neck of the woods.
1: Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, And improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshua.spodach.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. First, if you have not watched The Story of Stuff or any of The Story of Stuff videos, as much as I love my podcast, watch those videos from the organization that Michael Ohini leads. They're phenomenal videos, in my opinion, and the links are right where you got this podcast. Next, what Michael Ohini does, it's ordinary, it's simple, riding a bike. It's something he could have always done. But note, as usual with experienced leaders, he involves others. In particular, this time his daughter, he spent more time with her. A lot of people think of other people as problems. Oh, I can't stop flying because I have to fly for work or I have to fly because of family. Always someone else that's the problem. It's always someone else who makes it impossible. But leaders take responsibility, they take action, they hold themselves accountable. And more precisely, in this case, leaders involve others to help solve the problem. They see other people as part of the solution, not part of the problem. So let's listen how Michael acted on and accomplished what he's looking for in his personal challenge. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Michael Heaney. How are you doing? I'm
0: excellent. Thanks, Josh.
1: I kind of want to jump into this about, actually, I want to jump in about biking because I believe you've been doing more biking than usual. But there's something you said last time that has stuck with me that you said that the fracking industry, because it's growing, is producing more and more plastic than ever. And we're going to be producing yet more and more. And this has really stuck with me as it, it's like not something that I can actually act on, but it's just such a sobering thing because, or maybe there is something, I, the listeners can't hear this, but when I said that, it's not, I can't act on it, your face was like, actually?
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm glad I said this. Is there something I can do?
0: So yeah, I mean, there's tons of things to do. It just depends on sort of where you want to intervene. So step number one, generally speaking, we think is better understanding the system. So part of the reason we think understanding the sort of full life cycle of plastics is it opens up all sorts of new opportunities to intervene in that system to actually take action. So a lot of the focus around plastic pollution, I mean, it's hard to open a magazine or turn on a news program without hearing something about plastic pollution these days. But an enormous amount of that attention, and not unrightly so, is focused on sort of plastic's end of life, the plastics that end up in the ocean. But the fact is, plastic pollutes at all stages of its life, from the fracking fields where the raw materials are extracted, to the refineries and places like Houston, Texas, where the petrochemical industry makes plastics, and then, of course, through to its end of life, and in many cases, even before its end of life, in in the sort of ways that consumers interact with it, and the sort of toxic materials. So, knowing those things about it open up all sorts of opportunities to intervene, whether it is supporting a group led by the Gerhardt family in Western Pennsylvania that is Fighting a pipeline that is bringing those hydrocarbons, the fracking gas, to refineries where it's cracked and turned into plastic. So it may be supporting that family. It may be supporting a group like Tejas in Texas, in Houston, that is fighting refineries. It may be reducing your own personal use of single use disposable plastics because it's those plastics that are in many ways sort of driving the boom. So you have, in essence, this what the industry is calling a plastics renaissance. And our job in many ways is, one, to say there's too much plastic in the system as much as it is. Recycling is not going to solve the problem. And we actually need to reduce the amount of plastics that's being created. So there's all sorts of places to intervene. There's ways to do it at a personal level. There's ways to do it through your pocketbook and the kinds of groups you support. It's turning up for events. And probably in many ways, most importantly, over the coming year or two in particular, it's just really helping people understand the full life cycle of plastics and the impacts it has it all along it.
1: Well, I'm glad that I asked and I'm going to ask for the specific, you mentioned a few links, so I want to put those on. And now you mentioned events and I'm going to brag about something. I forget how much I talked to you about my no packaging food. That's what drove a lot of this. And so sometime earlier this year, a friend of mine put me in touch with a friend of his and she's the wife of this, these twins who started this clothing brand. And I'm just sitting there talking to her, for, you know, friend introduced us. We're just talking and I'm talking about food and no packaging and life and how much better life is because, you know, it starts off with avoiding packaging, but it, it turns into living by your values, which is like a great trade. I mean, I give away plastic and I get values. And she says, if I got a room full of people, would you come and say what you're saying to them? And it turns into last Tuesday, a week and a half ago, they brought in 50 people. And in the Brooklyn North Farms in Brooklyn, there's like a kind of big garden, small farm underneath the Williamsburg Bridge. I made my food for 50 people and there was no packaging. In fact, I had to give them receipts. And so the receipts was the most landfill stuff. I hope they recycle them, the most that I produce. Now they brought, without telling me, well, one, they got they got sponsored by alcohol. So there was bottles of alcohol. I didn't have anything to do with that. And then they also got a bags of bread and butter. So they brought some packaging, which I was, I was kind of annoyed that they didn't tell me about that. Yeah. But- uh it was a whole meal for 50 people.
0: New York has a container deposit system though, right? So the bottles or cans or or whatever it was, hopefully got returned for the five cent deposit and got back into a system.
1: I hope so. I was over there. I was here with all the vegetables. I I went to the farmer's markets and and my CSA and got all the vegetables and we had three pressure cookers set up. And then I would just grab people from the event and put them in front of a chopping board and say, okay, you do this because I wanted them to learn how to do it. So over there was the bar and I didn't get anything from there. So I don't know what happened with that stuff. But they said the total amount of trash that they had at the end of other things was one bag.
0: So yeah, it's great. We just did an event with members of the Story of Stuff community around the world, something called a brand audit. So you and your listeners are probably familiar with the concept of a beach cleanup, right? Folks go to a beach or a riverbank or a park. They happen all over the country, indeed, all over the world pick up trash to sort of clean up a beach. So this year, we took that concept one step further by actually recording not just the types of plastic that were found, but where identifiable, the brands that created that plastic and put it into the world in the first place. So we had uh, 60 events around the world, including one in New York City, and members of the Story of Stuff community picked up, I think, over 100,000 pieces of trash Uh cataloged it. And just last week, along with other members of the Break Free from Plastic Movement around the world, all of that data from hundreds of events around the world was compiled basically to figure out which brand's packaging was most ending up in the environment.
1: Ooh, can I guess? (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to guess. And I'm going to say all these names with the word garbage right next to them. Let's see. Starbucks garbage, Coca-Cola garbage, Pepsi garbage, could be Amazon garbage, It could be Whole Foods garbage or Trader Joe's garbage. They're all very garbagey places. I'm going to go with, I think it's either going to be Starbucks garbage or Coca-Cola garbage. And I'm going to go, oh, wait. Yeah. No, I was going to say it could be like Budweiser garbage or Miller garbage because they produce a lot of garbage, but that's not going to end up on the street. But I like saying all these names followed by garbage. Starbucks garbage. I think it's going to be Starbucks garbage.
0: So the top three, Uh you were right with Coca-Cola, number one. Number two, Pepsi. And of course, PepsiCo owns a wide range of brands.
1: Oh, McDonald's garbage too. Oh, yeah.
0: And then number three, Nestle.
1: Nestle garbage garbage.
0: Number two, after the sort of just plastic packaging wrapper kinds of things, Mm -hmm. were PET bottles, which is such a bummer because that is actually... A plastic with value to the recycling system. So that's why, in many ways, those three were the top three, was we're still finding PET bottles in the environment, and it's such a stupid waste. i mentioned New York has a container deposit system. One of the things that we're working on is trying to expand container deposit systems in this country. There's only 11 states right now. Europe is on fire with them. The UK, the Baltic states, is a series of countries right now, Spain, that are either considering or implementing systems and it's estimated that that would, that alone, just the container deposit system would deal with somewhere between 15 and 20% of the marine litter problem.
1: Oh, it's so easy. And most of this stuff is like, go to the water fountain. It's like, here's one that, that gets me is that when I was a kid growing up, and I forget if we talked about this, bottled water was like this frou-frou European thing that was like, what? Just drink water from the faucet. And now people, people treat it as the healthy alternative which means that there's something else which they consider normal, which is somehow not water. So somehow I think that means that like soda or Gatorade is for them normal. Talk about the marketers winning. Holy cow. They've totally won that. We've replaced water that's been around for like the water that we've been drinking it since we first had, I don't know, since the Romans brought in aqueducts. Like now they've replaced that with soda in bottles and people are like, but it's healthier, which I doubt. I mean, it's certainly not healthier for, anyway. So,
0: well, drinking water is certainly healthier than drinking a sugar sweetened beverage, right? So, well, I'm
1: comparing it to uh, getting it from, well, certainly in New York if you get it from the faucet, I think.
0: New York's got a great water system, right? Yeah. So, there's most places in this country, there are certainly places where the water has issues and problems. So, even in a place like Flint, though, bottled water isn't the answer, either fixing the public water infrastructure is the answer, or in the short term, providing bulk availability of water to folks, not giving them a case of bottled water, particularly in a city that doesn't have the capability to actually deal with that plastic waste. So the bottling companies, Nestle, the biggest in the world, basically set out 20 years ago to convince people, one, that their product was safer than public water, in many cases in the United States, just not true, or that it was more convenient. And one of the ways that they could convince people that it was more convenient was by supporting the basic underinvestment in public water infrastructure. So, you know, when we were kids, you could find a drinking fountain at a park. You could find a drinking fountain all over the place. And you see it sort of coming back places like airports now with the sort of refillable fountains where you can bring your clean canteen or whatever you use. But, you know, there was for a long time this kind of underinvestment in public water infrastructure, and these companies were able to take advantage of that. So one, most places, water from the tap, one, is way cheaper, and two, it's safe. But, you know, these companies have done a good job sort of manufacturing demand for their products.
1: Yeah, and so, it's sickening. It's It's
0: pitiful. And, you know, I think the great thing is there is an understanding and a growing understanding, even among some of these companies, that plastic pollution is a giant problem and that they've, they've actually got to address it. So there's no reason that we shouldn't be addressing this. I mean, one of the more interesting things that I read recently, Pepsi recently bought... Now the name of the company is going out of my head. The Fizzy Water Company. Perrier? No, 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 no. You know, you make it at home. You have a little canister that actually fizzes the water for you. Well, it'll come to me. But basically the idea being Pepsi doesn't need to sell you a tea, two liter of soda. What they want to sell you is the sugar. So the potential for different delivery devices if you want a soda that doesn't involve actually using a plastic bottle where you can actually either make the soda at home or in your office or business or whatever without actually using the packaging. I mean the truth is most people don't want the packaging, they want what's inside and the packaging is an irritation and ultimately can be a problem for the environment. So interesting, uh SodaStream, that's the name of the company. Pepsi just bought SodaStream, so you can look at one things like recycling systems, I mentioned container deposit systems, but there's also other ways of delivering these products and companies are, I think, uh, on the verge of getting serious about how they deliver their products in a more environmentally sensible way.
1: Yeah, you know, that reminds me, you know, vinegar was something that was packaged stuff that I was getting. And now I got vinegar that I made from home. I just chopped up some apples, put it in the water and let it, I guess, the process of fermenting. And the first time I did it, it, it wasn't the best vinegar I've ever had, but it wasn't bad. And so now I got these jars with apples and vinegar forming and it's kind of cool. I mean, I don't, know if, I don't know if people listening are like, Josh, that's not particularly cool, but I really enjoy it. It's like, it's kind of neat to make vinegar and it's pretty easy. Like it, it was certainly less time to chop up the apples, put them in the water, put a lid on it than it would be to go to the store and get it. I guess I could just buy sugar and put it in water and make my own soda too. Although I wouldn't want to do that.
0: Apparently you can buy capsules, but I'm not a big soda drinker, so you'd have to ask someone else.
1: (laughs) Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting, that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. So let's get off of this and back on, I'm really curious about how the biking went. So have you been biking for the past month?
0: I have. And you know, the funny thing is, uh, well, two things. One, we generally say guilt is a poor motivator of action, but at some level, once I've made the commitment to you and knew that I would be back on, it was a pretty good motivator to act because I didn't want to come on here and be like, no, I've been a total bum. So yeah, I have. And probably, I don't know, 30, 40 miles a week. A lot of that ends up in my commute, but um, also taking a couple of rides. My daughter and I have gone out for a number of rides. And then I think I told you we had to d- delay sort of getting back together. I was in Europe for a week and a half earlier this month that we in now, October, earlier this month, including a visit to Amsterdam for the first time, which was just, I mean, I rode a bike Back there, there yeah. but it was just totally uh, it was one of those sort of revelatory trips because Amsterdam's a city where 40% of the daily trips are accomplished by bicycle. And it's no surprise when you're there because the bicycle parking lots and the bike lanes everywhere, the infrastructure for it is just so extensive and impressive. So, you know, I was on a bike pretty much every day we were there, getting around. And, and typically, if I was in New York City or San Francisco or visiting you know, cities in this country... I wouldn't have hopped on a bike. I would have gotten in a, a cab or a lift or gotten on the subway or something like that. So, you know, this is a system Amsterdam put into place in the 70s after the country finally decided the number of fatalities they were having from auto bike interactions was unacceptable and decided we're going to create a system of protected bike lanes that makes biking safe in this city. And that's a decision cities around our country could certainly make. So, so yeah, it's been great. And I, I was Psyched to be there in the context of that challenge Uh to not only have the sort of personal accomplishment of doing more of it, but then to actually sort of build a greater appreciation for how much easier we could make it for people in our country to get around by bike.
1: Yeah, New York City is definitely getting there. It's come a long way. I remember there's so much resistance to putting bike lanes. People would like sue the city, and they'd hire PR firms to make it difficult. And then you go to Amsterdam and I don't know if you had the experience of if you had a particularly cold or rainy day, but like, I kind of like you're in Amsterdam. It's a cold, wet day. It's dark because, you know, it's really far north there. And some 80 year old rides by on a bike, not like, look at me. I'm so they're just because that's what they do.
0: We had one crummy day and I was like, this is incredible. People are at, you know. Someone with an infant in the front of the bike with like a windshield in front of the kid, and they're just like, "This is what we do. This is how we get around."
1: And then you hear people here, and they're like, "Oh, I can't possibly." uh." Yes, you can. So you did a bit of biking for your commute. You got family into it. Was that hard or was that easy?
0: No, I mean my daughter is twelve. She loves it. So, and we, I mean, listen. This is the time of year in the, I live in the San Francisco Bay area. This is our summer in essence, September, October is when the weather is most beautiful here. So the ability to go down on, I live close enough to the Bay that I can ride to the Bay Trail and ride along San Francisco Bay and look at the Golden Gate Bridge in the distance. So it's not that hard to convince a 12 year old, Hey, let's go take a bike ride along the Bay. Trickier, I mean, in the context of this conversation about Amsterdam is, you know, we've been doing as a family a fair amount of advocacy in the last year to create safer w- uh, routes to school because my daughter goes to school, I don't know, a mile and a half at most from our house. But there's like three major avenue crossings between our house and her school, none of which have great protected crossings. And so we've been anxious about having her ride her bike to school because of this. There was actually a kid at her school last year who was hit by a car on the way to school. So trying to pair both the sort of personal enjoyment, the ability to get out on a bike with a little bit of advocacy to make sure that the kids in our city have the ability to get to school by bike safely.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm reading a lot about kids. Kids don't get to play anymore, but that's a topic for another conversation
0: it's organized play. They don't really sort of run out into the street the way that we used to. Yeah. Plays a lot. She's an athlete, but um, it's all very organized.
1: Yeah, the free play is what's disappearing. But let's leave that for another conversation. <laughs> Although I'm reading this book by Peter Gray, which is phenomenal, called Free to Play. Anyway, so you talked about the what you did. And I hear the, what were the emotions attached to it? I mean, I, I think I heard them, but.
0: You know, I mean, it's enjoyable. One, I truthfully, you know, listen. I was taking public transportation to work, right? I wasn't getting in a car. So generally speaking, I was riding the bus. So I like that sort of space between home and work to think a little bit, kind of get out of your head, sort of observe the world around you, see what's going on, that kind of thing. So, you know, you can really do that when you're on a bike. I mean, I live in Berkeley, right? So it's a relatively suburban city and I'm riding up through parks and sort of quiet side streets and sort of seeing people out walking their dogs it's chill. It's a great way to actually start the day. And at the end of the day, it's a good way to sort of clear my head before I get home. So yeah, it's been fantastic.
1: Is that something now? Okay. Actually, you you mentioned guilt earlier, but I think it's public accountability is what that tends to be.
0: (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. Yes.
1: Certainly as a professor, I don't give tests, but I do have people present usually to peers, not the whole class because that takes too much time. But I think it's just as effective a motivator that you're going to talk to someone and it really sucks to come and be like, oh, sorry, I didn't do the homework. And you just stare and, and like have them stare at you. But it doesn't have, the, it doesn't care the judgment of the teacher grading. Right. So now that said, it's possible that what you're saying sounds more positive than, because now you're talking and you know people are going to hear this. Right. Is this something you f- foresee yourself s- sticking with and increasing over time?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the challenge... <laughs> The challenge to get back to, you know, the sort of bad weather is right now it's really gorgeous here. Like it's mid-70s and sunny basically every day. And in a couple of months, hopefully, our rainy season will start, which creates a very different environment to be riding to and from work, for instance, on your bike. So, you know, it doesn't rain every day, so I can keep that up. But... Um, but yeah, that is definitely, as the weather changes, that becomes one of the challenges. But, you know, we have sort of, uh, I don't know what you would call them, rain suits. There's, you know, there's sort of stuff that you can wear while you're cycling in the rain, that kind of stuff. So I don't know, in Amsterdam, it was kind of perplexing to me because they didn't seem to have a lot of protection, but they seemed to sort of get through just fine and show up at a restaurant. And they all looked very put together. <laughs> so I don't know if that will happen <laughs> with me, but that is probably the biggest, uh, the thing that will be most challenging is is ultimately our weather is going to change. I'm sure that's the case, you know, place like New York City. Going out in the teens with a little bit of snow in your face isn't necessarily fun weather to bike in.
1: Well, you know, what comes to mind for me, I haven't spent a lot of time in monsoon places, but I did spend some time in Vietnam. And I remember walking around Ho Chi Minh City and like suddenly the rain just poof, opens up and everyone's on scooters, not so many on bikes. But it's like in 10 seconds, like everyone just pulls over. They have like the stuff that would it like attaches to the bike yes. on the like three points in front and one in the back, I guess. And it just kind of and they just put it on and they go right back out. I was like, well, I guess it's been monsooning here for something like 100,000 years, I guess. So they figured that one out.
0: That's funny. Years ago when I was in Vietnam, we bought like this rain suit kind of thing for that very reason, because every once in a while you'd be out and about and it's, here comes the rain. Yeah. And, you know, Amsterdam, you, I saw a bunch of people who they've sort of integrated the like scooters and regular bikes lane that you can use scooters on the bike lanes. And you see people with sort of lap covers, like almost like lap blankets that they use on the scooters. Uh-huh. And there are adaptations.
1: <laughs> yeah. Whatever problems people have with biking, it's like someone solved it. Yeah. The trick isn't like, what do I do? It's who do I find the solution from? And yeah. Well, here's something that a guy contacted me. I did his podcast a year or two ago, Jethro Jones, he's a principal in Alaska, Fairbanks. Uh-huh. And he gets in touch with me and he's like, I want to do your show. I'm ready to do your show. It's like, okay, cool. And so his pledge is he's, I think for the school year, he's going to ride his bike every day. Mm-hmm. And he made a point of, I was so proud of myself as a geek to catch on this because he said, uh, you know, sometimes it gets down to 40 below and that 40 below is happens to be where Fahrenheit and Celsius are the same. So he didn't have to say which one it was. Right. So he's going to go every day.
0: And now you are making me feel guilty.
1: It's not a guilt thing. It's well, I'll have the podcast episode up. I'll make a point of remembering to tell you about it. But he had a specific, I mean, he was really gunning for that. It was like, no pun intended on Alaska and guns, but he was like, that was something he really, he specifically came up with that. It wasn't like with you, I asked you and he listened to this podcast and came up with it on his own. It's like this, I want to do Sure. so. And did it affect other things? Did it go out from biking to other places in your life? I mean, your life is pretty full with not polluting.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think, did it, you know, I mean, I think there's, I mentioned getting out with my daughter. That's always enjoyable. It's it's a good sort of quality time together. You get to sort of see the world. I mean, I'm constantly having to sort of remind her how lucky she is to grow up where she's growing up and ride down to the Bay and look across and see the golden gate bridge. And people pay good money to come here to visit that, you know, once in their life to see it and we get to ride down there. So it's certainly, it's great in terms of family togetherness. I, you know, I think mental health, it's just a sort of good opportunity, like I said, to kind of clear your head, get a little bit out of, get a little separation between home and the office. And I think there is a way in which, and I think this is true of public transportation too, there's a way in which you are more connected with what's going on in your community when you're not sort of encapsulated in a car, driving solo with the radio on and sort of trying to sort of not pay attention to what's going on around you as much as possible. So there is a way I think that you probably be become a little bit more connected to what's happening in you know in your neck of the woods
1: i'm glad to hear that because i kind of thought guy in san francisco working for the story of stuff i would have thought you would have already said that to someone else like years ago but i'm trying to think of it from the listener's perspective i hope that if there are listeners thinking oh well it's easy for him because he's in san francisco or something like that it's not it's i mean it's no more accessible no one has any secret entry to like their life is easier or like i mean we all can get that joy from doing these things that's my experience for sure. Anything I didn't think to ask before wrapping up that you want to mention or anything message for the listeners?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I have really enjoyed our conversation and I'm happy to have you reach out in the future so we can talk some more. But you mentioned one, I think both... You know, storyofstuff.org, breakfreefromplastic.org, which is sort of broader plastic-free movement that we've been a part of helping to grow around the world. Both places full of great resources for people who are interested in that issue in particular. I mentioned um, two groups, the Gerhardt family in Western Pennsylvania. They'll actually be featured in a documentary we're we're releasing next year called The Story of Plastic. Oh, cool. Great group in Houston, Texas, Tejas, T-E-J-A-S, Tejas, working against petrochemical industries, polluting of communities along the Houston Ship Canal. Great group for folks to look up, check out their website. So, But just generally, I just encourage people to, it's a lot more fun to make change when you're doing it with other people. So look for opportunities where they live. There are certainly opportunities that people can find on Break Free From Plastic or storyofstuff.org.
1: All right, and I'm going to get all those links for you to make it easy for people to click those links. Right on. And top of all, I have to say the story of stuff videos, the story of of solutions, the story of uh, bottled water. I guess I watched a few things about you guys talking about Strawberry Creek, was it, that taking on Nestle? Yeah,
0: we did a series of um, three... Short documentaries on communities around the country who were basically working to protect public water resources from water bottlers, in this case, Nestle. So there's one on a fight happening right now, we hope is coming to a head in the next couple of months in the San Bernardino National Forest. Nestle bottles as much as 40 million gallons of water from the San Bernardino National Forest, public water. They don't pay a dime for it. There was a successful fight in Cascade Locks, Oregon, to stop a bottle proposal there. They passed a county-wide initiative to say no commercial water bottling in our county. And then we did a a movie we released earlier this year called The Tale of Two Cities that looks at the stories of the city of Flint, Michigan, which of course many people are familiar with the lead crisis there, and a smaller town, Everett, about 150 miles away, where the state is giving Nestle water, again, without making them pay for it, for bottling. So with one hand, the state has proven itself incapable of providing water to its citizens while it's giving it away way to this huge multinational corporation. So yeah, those three short documentaries you can find on our website, as well as the animated videos for which we're probably best known. And if you look on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're producing new content pretty much every week.
1: Michael Heaney, thank you very much.
0: Yeah, of course. So excited to be with you.
1: If you like spending more time with your family, your friends, people with you, your community, and you think environmental action will get in the way, I hope that you see Michael Heaney could have made plenty of excuses, but he didn't. On the contrary, he acted and did spend more time with his family. Instead, he involved others. And he's not the first to find acting on his environmental values that they helped overcome separation from children. I recommend listening to Jim Harshaw's conversations also on this podcast for another example of someone who took advantage of this challenge to make things better for himself, for his family, to spend more time with them, to involve them with the solution. And I hope you enjoy riding your bike with your daughter or whatever it is that you like to do with the people that you like to do it with. Because spending time in whatever you call nature with the people that you care about, it's pretty quality time. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuelspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and Living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.